Welcome back, new you maniacs, to the spinner rack here at the Marvel New Universe Comics Podcast, also known as the voice of the new universe, by us at least. Uh, we are your hosts, Stephen with Starbrand number 11, and Andy covering Cyforce number 16. We've got a big difference in numbers here. Um, so yeah, the new universe launched in 1986 as an imprint from Marvel Comics dedicated to a more grounded and less fantastic approach to comics and world building. Uh, the idea was the world outside your window with real-time progress and more realistic technology, physics, and biology. Uh, after the first year, some new universe books were canceled, although we may see their characters in other places. And there have been some changes in direction including this issue, this episode, uh, we're kind of heading that way uh, in the remaining books. Uh, but yeah, with our podcast, you can follow along with us each week, as you should, uh, and go through each comic, the order they hit the spinner rack, or just check out individual comics if you already have a favorite. Uh, looking for more fun? We have a season three trivia challenge. Have at that. See if you've been a careful podcast listener. We also have Twitter at Kickers Inc. If you just need more updates. Oh yeah, I should update that. <laughs> this uh, Twitter's been a little harder to use lately. Um, the Star Brand. Every man Ken Connell was given a power called the Star Brand under mysterious circumstances, wanting to help others but also afraid to expose himself. Connell struggles to grow up and find use for the brand's unlimited power while dating many, many available women. This week, star brand number 11. At last, Ken Connell goes public with the star brand power, but the consequences are far beyond anything he ever expected. Written and penciled by John Byrne and inked by Tom Palmer... Tom, Palm Tom Palmer doesn't get as much excitement, sadly. I mean, he's a fine guy. I, I don't have any problems with Tom Palmer. He's not a famous comics legend, I suppose. He's just not John Byrne. I know. Right? <laughs> and yeah, so Cyforce, a group of psychic teenage paranormal runaways bound together by a psychic ent entity called the Cyhawk. Cyforce. <laughs> Cyforce uh, 16, you'd think that Cyforce's troubles would end when a research lab offers to rid them of their powers, if you don't know anything about comics. Uh, <laughs> but when Cyforce accepts that offer, that's when their real trouble begins. Foundations, written by Fabian Nicieza and penciled by Ron Lim. And uh, yeah, we got some universe news to talk about and some creative team changes at times, too. That's right. And uh we're going to jump right into the star brand number 11, which is cover dated January 1988. Uh, we believe hit the stands October 13th, 1987. Uh, we'll, we'll, as we, we, um, we've been going through star brand. Remember it went bi-monthly after issue six and um, lost its original creative team with issue seven. And so Eight, nine, ten, and the annual have all been that sort of um, uh, fill-ins and, you know, various people trying different angles, but nothing really like what you'd call a new direction for the book. Um, 
last issue was that interesting one with um the gladiator i forget reggie um and uh who was uh like a, a um, paranormal who was walking into uh russia to try to attack it um but this month we have um a new creative team john byrne and uh Tom Palmer, you forgot him already. <laughs> Flipped out of the other page. I sorry, Tom. Um, have taken over, and this is their first uh issue in the new direction. Um, and I'd found there's a couple pages in Marvel Age 58, which had come out the month before, with John Byrne um talking about his ideas for Starbrand. So we'll go dip back into that at the end of this issue. Right. So should we mention briefly now that John Byrne famously hated Jim Shooter, who created the new universe and Starbrand? <laughs> I mean, it's yeah, we it's not a secret. Uh <laughs> well uh, some people aren't if you're not knee deep in comic books, then that's uh, true. Yeah. You might not know some of that history, but yeah, like you know, I'm sure there may have been other reasons, but essentially, yeah. <laughs> John Byrne disliked working under jim shooter so much that he left marvel comics to go work for dc and would this be his, his first return back to marvel then taking over jim's property basically um that i'm that i don't uh, remember i think but... he might have already come back into like um west coast avengers and she hulk that was the kind of thing he was doing after his dc work um, which would be around this time also, but I'm not sure which is the absolute first off the top of my head. Uh, our research department will look right into that. Um, that. It just gives you all sorts of things to kind of imagine when you're reading it. Yeah, I mean, that's... Like, is that why the new universe logo is so tiny? Yeah, I I, I mean, to, to go to dig back into it... Um, Byrne had famously worked with um, uh, Chris Claremont on a, you know, world-class uh, run of X-Men, brought that title to prominence. Um, and uh, since after that, I guess, went on to Fantastic Four, which he was writing and drawing himself. Um, but he was still, like, pretty mad, I think, at Shooter, uh, for being that kind of like running a tight ship thing that he did. Yeah. Um, and I, I, as I recall, there was like the death of Jean Grey was like shooters, you know, partly mandate that like he'd gone too far and they had to like kill the character. And then a couple of years later, the, the money guys are like, oh yeah, we got to get that character back. And like, you know shooters having to do it the other way and everyone was mad at him by this point and things mm -hmm. like that you know um so um shooter has left as we said at after starbrand seven somewhere in the next couple of months he was fired as editor-in-chief and um interestingly i think howard mackey had recruited john byrne to take over the star brand which was the flagship title of the new universe so how does Byrne integrate his feeling of like uh here's a thing that a guy i don't like created i guess we'll see 
the cover is a um, decent enough um, uh, shot of just Ken Connell in a rather more garish uh, spandex outfit um, with the star brand logo in the middle of it. And um, just sort of a couple of colors, maybe purple and black or dark blue. Um he is uh, just sort of up against a backdrop of the star brand uh, radiating power and the planets are sort of around him. It's all very um, nice, but um, just sort of an idea more than a event. Um, the logo, as you say, for the new universe itself has been uh, downsized even smaller so it's barely visible at the top. And um, they've added the to the title. So the star brand and inside as well. So here's Burn. Ta-da! <laughs> we turn inside the page and the title is Celebrity. Interesting. Burn is, of course, a celebrity. So um, it's... Uh, Credits say sound and form, John Byrne, substance, Tom Palmer, and then hue for colors and calligraphy for letters, these other folks that were involved. And it is a splash page with a full figure of um, Debbie Duck Fix holding up a um, this costume that we saw on the cover, I guess. And there's a narration box, Saturday, September 12th, 1987, the Westgate Village Apartments near Pittsburgh, PA, um, which is, of course, Ken Connell's apartment. We can see his motocross bike there <laughs> by the uh, uh, French doors. What do you call them? Yeah, like the sliding glass doors. I'm always happy to see the the big, super big apartment with the motorcycle in it. That's like. So finally, someone has done their research. Yeah, is uh, still no one puts like newspapers underneath this motorcycle that's parked inside. But okay, um, it's really more of a quibble I have with Ken Connell, the character, than the writing of the direction. <laughs> um, so Debbie is uh, dressed in uh, sort of an '80s workout outfit, and she's holding this thing, this costume up, and going, "Well, Kenny, what do you think?" I don't know. Looks like it might be a bit big for you, duck. Ken is uh, sitting on the couch in the black pit t-shirt. I think we saw in the first or second issue. Yeah, I think he wore that for a piece in the first one. And uh, P-I-T-T and white on a black background. No suggestive, not suggestive at all. Neither is the close-up of Debbie's butt. Mm. Then. Huh, it's not for me, Kenny. It's, oh, you're just making a joke. I get it. Quack. Yeah, try it on. Why don't you? So it's, um, okay. Look, <laughs> Duck, uh, I know you mean well and all, but I'm just not ready to go public or commit to a relationship. Hmm. I don't think I ever will be. That was just me on the relationship. Um, But, Kenny, it only makes sense. Did, don't you see? All them weird powers you got, just like a comic book superhero. Only you're for real, Kenny. Duck, lend me 50 bucks, would you? 
<laughs> I'm a little too real. Wow. So uh, Ken is, um, well, I mean, he's on model. He's significantly taller than than Ducky. Um, but he has sort of like a angry expression. And I was going to say he looks more like the Dolph Lundgren that they quoted us as the Hollywood model for him. Yeah, it's very He-Man. Well, yeah. Dolph Lundgren did play He-Man in that terrible movie, but <laughs> that helps. Yes, but yeah, he looks really cavemanish, and uh, honestly, I mean, we've had a couple of fill-in artists and stuff, and not really seen Duck that much. But John Byrne does not draw Duck as nice as uh, John Romita Jr. did, nor Ken, for that matter. Yeah, so. Um... They just, you know, they're less attractive and sort of more angry or stupid, yeah, respectively. But okay, um, we have Ken uh, flying off from his balcony, and he's thinking to himself a bit, how strangely turns the world. What? <laughs> I've always thought old Debbie the Duck didn't have more than half a hemisphere of brain in her pretty little head. Figured the missing mask got displaced to another part of her body. Then he somehow flies over the ocean? Uh, now she hits me with this deep philosophical gunk. Be a superhero. Save the world. Save the whales. Okay, maybe she's got a point in there somewhere. Since the old man gave him the star brand, and all the infinite power that comes with it, I've been trying to figure out exactly what I should do with it. We see him now flying back down to a house in, uh, I believe it was West Mifflin, because he enters and there's Myron Feldman. And uh, he's, he's thinking to himself that his temper got in the way of asking the one man who might really be able to help before. Myron, got a minute? That depends. I'm a busy man, Ken. I don't have time for games. Not anymore. Myron, interestingly, is drawn... Uh, I don't know. He's kind of like Mole Man again, but <laughs> a little less Woody Allen, a little more Mole Man. Yeah. But he's uh, in terms of the dialogue, he's now like a wise, you know, uh, advisor to Ken, as opposed to the kind of um, weirdo that he was before, you know? Yeah. Before he would kind of like, Kind of like he was thinking out loud, just kind of like working things out and, you know, definitely like questioning and such. Here he's kind of jerky. <laughs> and also like, yeah, Ken has a little more reverence for him rather than annoyance with him. But Yeah, Ken's like, oh, I shouldn't have stormed out on him. He charged you 50 bucks for giving you advice before. So right. <laughs> and then he made you deuce chores until they worked it off so <laughs> i don't know anyway he's like uh myron's like i'm a trained psychoanalyst ken and as a trained psychoanalyst i'm just about at the end of my rope with you huh look myron maybe i've been a little slow coming to grips with all that happened maybe slow sounds like the same old games to me ken how many times does this make that you come to me three four five and what do you kind of each time you do you whine and moan about life's hard knocks we all have a hard rock. Some rough spots, Ken. Tried as it may sound, that's part of being alive. You, however, get handed this incredible power 
and you just use it as an excuse for more phony baloney soul searching. Yeah, I, I, I'm sure this doesn't have any reflection on the uh, prayer issues, which someone may have read in preparation for this. But Yeesh. Yeesh. Anyway, I've known you for as long as I have. I can pin your personality to a T, Kenneth Connell. You're a loser. <laughs> what? <laughs> even even on a good day, Myron is like five six and uh he lives in a house filled with junk. <laughs> 120 pounds. And he's telling, yeah, He Man Ken Connell to uh, you're a loser. Uh, so my Ken's a little put off by this. Wait a minute. Really? Have I misread you? Are you still using your power primarily to get girls? Ouch. You never Score. did that, though. A direct hit. That's a good question, because um, we saw uh, the old man hypnotize Duck. And I thought, mm-hmm. like, he has similar power. So maybe Ken has more, like... Um, power to influence people that then he realizes mm. but i'm not sure that that's that feels like a stretch yeah it might be a stretch ken ken is like you know six six and good looking and athletic i don't think he really needs like a lot of extra powers to pick up girls so myron i don't know uh <laughs> it's i mean yeah i don't know he's uh confused he's like i uh i mean myron help me please myron's uh overjoyed that he's uh taking a positive step in therapy and uh asks him to sit down and go over it all again in the beginning from the beginning so here we have the recap of the first issue mostly from ken's point of view where he runs into old man that he runs into, gives him a tattoo he called the star brand. Um, the, uh, then he dies and he discovers he was really an alien from outer space. And then the next night, another alien attacked where you've got visuals for all this. He lured the second alien to the slag dump and he was uh, fighting and going to Ken was going to lose it, but he got angry and let the full energy loose. And he thought um, it was gone, the alien, although he had like a second con- confrontation that they don't go into here. Anyway, we fast forward to a later uh, meetup with the old man when he comes back in. I'm going to say issue five. Um, when Ken and Debbie are duck are sitting at Denny's and the old man comes by. Mind if I join you? What? The uh, old man had told him that, uh, the, on the other side of the universe where I come from, a war is being fought on a scale unimaginable to you. It is war against oppression and the oppressors are winning. Yeah, that's what they all said. You must go with me there at once and use the power of the star brand to turn the tide. I guess if you're not winning, then you, how could you be the oppressors anyway? Or at least not being that good at it. Yeah. Uh, you're you're <laughs> got to up the oppression to uh, make sure <laughs> they know you won. Um, 
So he refused to go, go with him, and they fought again. And as he can, says, I won. He died, this time for good, I think. But that's not all, is it, Ken? You're too sharp, Myron. No, that's not all. <laughs> and now we really dig into uh, monologue time. As Ken goes through... Um, well, I mean, we've done this ourselves, and Ken did this in the book himself a couple of times at different stages, sort of doubting this the old man's original story. Right. It's fishy, and it doesn't always track with things that um, Ken observes. He goes back and looks at places he fought, and he doesn't find any traces of a fight or a spaceship or whatever. So um, Ken's kind of monologuing a bit about how starts wondering if there was no second alien or maybe it was the old man again or maybe they were both the aliens were the old man and uh how the old man wanted the brand back and then he started threatening his family and friends that's the part that makes the least sense you know i mean why give me the thing if he had no intention of letting me keep it and why the, all the elaborate charade of his death and the second alien then I thought, well, maybe the second alien was some sort of space cop because it sounded like maybe the old man stole the star brand and maybe he was trying to like hide it in me. Only that didn't make much sense either. <laughs> First time the old man came back, he was all nice and polite, talked about honor and the brand was his now. And um, the second and or the third time in all I saw him, he was different. He brainwashed Debbie Fix. He admitted to being one of the aliens. Then he started a campaign of terror, leaving me messages like the brand or people die. Myron, I don't know what to do anymore. Then we have more uh, dialogue back and forth with Myron and Ken. Myron's again being sort of a wise master in all this. Um, and they could sort of talk about how the brand itself is not a proof of the story. I mean, they it's true that they has a brand, and it's true the brand has powers, but, um, you know, the rest of the story, who knows what the truth is. Myron then interestingly comes up with, but you haven't let anyone examine it. You haven't let, for example, the government see it, have you? I thought about it. I even flew to Washington, bent a couple of bars at the White House fence. Why? What do you mean, why? I didn't think I was going to land in the Rose Garden, do you? Circuit Service guys started shooting. They might have gotten hurt. Altruistic, but unrealistic. I can think of half a dozen ways to forestall such an event. Strip into your underwear to show you were unarmed, for instance. Um, The president isn't protected by lunatics, after all. Uh, so what are you telling me? I'm telling you, you're finding excuses for hiding your powers. And the reason is very simple and basic ego. So no, uh, I thought that bartender back in DC had a pretty good argument. Right? That was a hundred percent, a great argument. <laughs> he had gone to DC and was thinking about what he should do. And so he, he hits a, he goes to a local bartender who's, uh, you know, used to these DC power brokers who tells him, who, who, you know, the, Ken gives him like a, a hypothetical, what if a super person dropped in the 
White House. And they were like, oh, they would uh, act really nice and go along with everything. And then they'd kill you in your sleep. <laughs> yeah. Hmm, okay. <laughs> because they could they couldn't control you, right? Exactly. If uh and yeah, Myron doesn't seem to uh think too much of that uh uh in those lines. He's um still focused maybe on Ken himself. He gives him a long uh talk about how uh, Ken has always you know everyone around Ken gives him a lot of oh you should do more with your potential you have so much potential and uh as he says you you're well read you talk intelligently but your re- most recent job was polishing cars at an auto rehab shop um it's not a challenge to your intellect and uh Ken's like I don't know I mean I'm not even 30 I don't have to conquer the world and uh Myron's like Okay, everyone gives you a lot of gratification by t- always telling you you're wasting your life and your wonderful brain. And so that's your ego being fed because you want to be the best and you want everyone saying, "Ooh, there's Connell. He's better than us." But you can't get that um or you're afraid to go out there and push yourself to to actually improve yourself. And uh, so the next best thing is you've been giving this power and you still kind of hide it and just think that you're better than everyone else. Ken's getting kind of mad at this and he starts storming off and, and uh, Myron's like, well, you came here expecting the same old song from your old pal Myron. You're wasting your life, Ken. You're so smart. You could do anything, Ken. That I think was issue three again. Mm. <laughs> well, not this time. Whatever else the star brand may have taken to your life, it's taken away that little game forever. You really do have the potential to be better than the rest of us now, Ken. So stop hiding your light under a barrel. Stop playing around. Let the world know there's an honest-to-God superhero in their midst. I'm going to think about this, Myron. But, uh, you know, that's just what the duck said. Myron thinks to himself, I know, which is suggestive. And as he flies off, Ken is uh, brutishly thinking to himself, who would have ever expected Debbie Fix and Myron to be on the same wavelength? It's like finding out Albert Einstein and Marilyn Monroe belong to the same chapter of Menza. I just don't know. He looks like some, such a dummy in that panel where he's flying away, too. I don't know, Myron. Thinking makes my brain hurt. <laughs> um... Yeah, we're playing up Myron to be a little smarter and Debbie a little dumber than I think we've seen before. But okay, we get back to Ken's apartment and uh, he goes uh, inside and it's like, duck, quack, what? And uh, there's a flush and she comes out of the bathroom and she's like, oh, I uh, kind of threw up. And... uh, Anyway, so what did Myron say? Uh, well, pretty much what I expected. And as I was flying over here, I decided you were right. Myron just confirmed it for me. Oh, Kenny, you mean? Yep. I'm going to be a real live superhero. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, so there's a nice transition there from like him not saying the word superhero, but then superhero on the TV. Yes. Which I gotta is say, the all second the second trans- piece that makes me happy of this comic was one: the big apartment with the motorcycle; two, 
learning about things through the TV. <laughs> that that is good. I liked that the all the um, transitions are really sharp and distinct because they are all like each page is a scene or at least a location. So when you start a new uh, scene or something, it's not in the middle of the page and sort of crowding in. It's like, you know, flip. Here's something new. Flip. You know, they're, they're new location. Yeah. Um, very clear, clear storytelling, at least. Yeah. Debbie looks a little better in these panels, too. Though I'm thinking about it and, and you know, most comic book characters don't have much of a face. Right, like we, you kind of recognize them mostly from their costume and maybe hair color and hairstyle as far as that goes. But like sure, sure. Ken, Ken kind of had a distinctive face just due to Jr. Junior's style, and then he kind of just looked like anybody in the fill-ins. So then I want it, it may have actually been kind of challenging for Byrne to kind of like, all right, so what does this guy really look like? I'm I can't draw or I don't want to draw an ape Ramita's style. But it's kind of he has kind of like a distinctive look, right? So, how do you turn that into like a a burn style face? So. I mean, for me, I always thought of Ken as mostly tall and um, more thin, like you know, um, yeah. How to say that? It's like athletic, but not like weightlifter athletic. It's yeah. more well, strong, like a mechanic, right? Like they're not big, burly, like shredded muscle Superman looking dude. Yeah, right, but they're right. strong <laughs> and definitely kind of a long face and a big nose um we do have sort of a bridge on his nose here but uh like it's a little maybe uh there's some difficulties in trying to find your own take on things there's always those um you know how to draw the marvel way or something has you know how to um sort of construct a head you know and then the features and then you have to like you know get the right uh you know full 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 on three-quarter blah 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 and then right. below above or below and then make it look like an individual person and then give it an expression and all that and it's like by the time you really you know break it all down it's i feel like i shouldn't be criticizing so much but you know i i guess i do anyway <laughs> So better uh, to do. <laughs> we had we had an evening to kill, so here we go. So um yeah, halfway through, and Ken has made his decision, and this is a transition point in the new universe. No longer the world outside your window. I guess now, we just got superheroes now. Yeah, like above like admitted superheroes or something. Um and it's weird that like, you know, that that term is so, um, you know, it, important to them. I've, I've heard that like superhero is trademarked by both Marvel and DC. Hmm. So like other companies can't call their super champions superheroes. So I don't hmm. know if that's like important to them that everyone had that adopt that uh, uh, category, but. Anyway, back to the TV, which was just telling us that there was a um, 747 at uh, Chicago's O'Hare Airport that had been uh, hijacked to, they were going to hijack it to London. And uh, he goes over to um, a reporter named Adrienne Choi, um, 
who continues the story in Chicago. Well, thank you, Bob. Well, it was a page out of a comic book brought to life today as the costume superhero who calls himself Starbrand appeared in the windy afternoon skies over the Windy City. It was hour six of the kijacking of Flight 901 to London, and police officials had frankly confessed to a deadlock. Abruptly, out of the eastern sky, radar picked up a tiny angel approaching the airport. Angel is traffic controller talk for the unidentified target, Bob. And when the telephoto camera lenses were turned in that direction, this is what they saw. A very lame costume. <laughs> it is kind of lame. He's got like the black ski mask and leading into like, I don't know, it's really like a black hourglass kind of shape with white as the other color. Yeah, I want to say it's like kind of a inverse diamond um it was like dr spectrum in the squadron supreme something like this yeah uh, yeah i know and i, I guess it's know. like white and black at least in this uh version of it um i want to say like why don't so like why don't you just call him the angel oh i'm sorry we shows up in the rain radar as angel come on call me angel everyone i don't know Okay. He doesn't so, know airplane terminology. Oh, okay. We've narrowed down his secret identity as a person who doesn't know airplane technology. <laughs> a flying man estimated to be well over six feet tall and weighing 240 pounds. He landed atop the 747, ripped the roof as if it was a sardine can. Actually, much easier than a sardine can. Those are hard. Um, Truth. Does a lot of uh, damage to a 747, which maybe isn't going to fly again anytime soon. Cost of millions of dollars. Um, so, yeah, Ken had probably heard, seen on the TV or something that there was this hijacking and this was his uh, chance to go in. And so with cameras running, he didn't worry about, you know, how am I going to sneak in without anyone seeing me? He just went in in the costume and uh, there we go. Um, probably, um, well, the newscast continues. Um, the newscaster is actually kind of skeptical and thinks like, you know, are you sure there wasn't some, this isn't like a, uh, hoax of some sort. And Adrienne continues. Um, she saw, didn't see any wires. She saw the guy drop out of the sky and uh, she saw that the costume still had bullet holes in it when he came out and uh, that he handed over some Uzis and then bent them into a pretzel and then back. And uh, all of this is quite interestingly like off screen. So it's like, oh, I wish John Byrne would draw an action scene with the star brand and some hijackers and blah, blah, blah. Um. John, I'll give you like a woman talking about it on a TV for a while. Is that close enough for you? This is like a couple of good shots of the dial on the television. <laughs> <laughs> UHF and VHF and whatnot. Yeah, I guess he's got a video player there. That's pretty good in those days. Actually, yeah, uh, the TV changes a couple times. Is this supposed to be like people watching it across the nation on different televisions? Is that the thing? Um... Maybe, yeah, you're yeah, right. Like first one dials, second one speakers, third one Ken's apartment. 
You're right. Yeah, yeah. They're, they must be doing that on purpose. So yeah, it must be like across the nation. Um, it's a little subtle because I totally missed it after the twentieth read through. But okay, good, good catch. Come on. <laughs> um. So uh, we uh, at least the last um, TV where we start panning out and it's Duck and Ken there. And uh, what, Ken clicks it off. What you turn it off for, Kenny? That's the one reaction I didn't expect. They don't believe in me, he says, with a really twisted up face. <laughs> Hulk smash! Puny <laughs> humans don't believe in Hulk. <sighs> what you gonna do, Kenny? Uh, <laughs> do... As soon as you make me a sandwich, I'm going to do something real big, duck. <laughs> I'm going to, like, and the next thing we have is Ken flying through space. I don't know why I didn't think of this right off. I'm going to steal the moon. <laughs> Ken flies to the moon again. And uh, looks around for a minute and uh, is looking for the Eagle 11 landing site. And he comes across it. Um, and there's the lunar module and the flag and some other assorted things. And he thinks to myself, um, you know, his footprints are now among Armstrong and Aldwin, Aldrin's. And I was thinking of taking the flag back as a demonstration of my power but it's only the historical significance to make the flag special. Mm, too easy to fake. I need something more. Then he turns around. Something uncontestable. And what's left of the eagle It'll, it suits my needs to a T. Now, I gotta admit, uh, I, I thought at first that maybe he'd screwed up some of the terminology, but um, I think this is the uh, landing module, the that base of the uh, that landed, and then the there was like a, a crew module that like took off again and uh, went back up to meet the command module in orbit. I don't know. I looked this up last week, and now I'm getting <laughs> fuzzy on it. But... That sounds about right. But yeah, this uh, thing is like I don't want to say tripod, but it's not like a four corner thing. It's like covered in gold, gold foil. They have one down in DC, I think, or, or a mock-up of it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But it would be pretty distinctive. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's sizable. I mean, if you were just flying anything that big, people would be impressed, but you know, this kind of, I guess is uh, easily identifiable to, to the government. So they would be able quickly uh able to confirm that it came from the moon yeah the science guys could spend weeks analyzing the dust this is in fact moon dust so um let's see so ken picks it up and says yeah i can handle this okay houston tranquility base here the eagle is flying again see that's like was that tranquility base okay anyway we have some nice shots of him flying it uh, back to Earth, back to the atmosphere, some clouds. He talks a little about how, uh, thinks a little about the winds, wants to make sure he uh, gets it there in one piece. Oh, you smashed up this historical artifact. Thank you, Mr. Superhero. Mm. Uh, 
And then uh, he gets to Washington, where he throws it in disgust at the... Uh, no, he doesn't. <laughs> Hulk smash! Um, I'll rain fire on you, DC, until you admit that I'm real. Who are you? Starbrand. I mean, the Starbrand. Why do you call yourself that? Why not? <laughs> Why not? Um, we go inside, uh, again, good transition, um, to the Oval Office where, uh, some Secret Service guys probably are coming in. Mr. President, sir, get away from the windows. And, uh, for, I think the first time we've got Ronald Reagan, uh, president at the time, uh, 1980 to 88. What in Mandrake, what is the meaning of this? <laughs> Could do a Reagan all day, man. Come on. I guess. <laughs> uh, I don't know who this this seems like a potentially character. Um, something big is going on, Mr. President. Something that isn't covered by my Secret Service training. And they look outside, and there's Ken standing on top of the uh, landing module on the White House lawn. Good Lord, it's him. It's that superhero I saw on the news this morning. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Reagan would be super excited about this, right? Like he's such a movie guy, like super. Yeah, movie. yeah. He'd like the 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 cinematic quality of it would really appeal to him. So yeah. he'd uh, like um, be overjoyed, I'm sure. Then, so, then we just get stuck with a bunch of bearded dudes. Yeah. Then we get into the most confusing pages of the book. Uh, we hit. Uh, it says later New York City and. The building uh, address says 387, and that's uh, like Marvel, um, Marvel's 387 Park Avenue South, New York, New York. Yeah. Um, and we see uh, several bearded guys sitting around a boring room with some comic book stuff on the walls. And uh, it was like, I don't see the problem. And when I say the problem, I mean the difficulty, don't you? No, why should this change anything? I think you're being too pessimistic, John. Maybe that's what I do best after all, but I still think this is going to be bad for us. Why? I think Mark's right, Pops. This could even boost our sales. <laughs> Tempted to give these guys weird accents or something, but uh, <laughs> I'll just skip it. I mean, it's <sighs> to a uninitiated reader, this is mystifying, I think. Um, yeah, it's there's a code in the uh, Marvel Age that had come out. I, I mentioned I'll talk in a minute that these are the um, various creators, uh, John Byrne, uh, Mark Ruinwald, Howard Mackey, and uh, I believe Mike Higgins. So a couple of the editors, the editor, the overall editor of the New Universe line and John Byrne all sort of arguing over whether having an actual superhero appear is going to be good or bad for business. Um, so uh, Mackie is saying, maybe we can even license this star brand guy, do a comic on him. You know, the way the fantastic four are supposed to be licensed in the Marvel universe. And uh, Higgins is like, yeah, it's more trouble than it's worth. Grunwald is, uh, as you might expect, a sensible guy. Uh, you always say that, Mike. But John, 
whole vistas of possibility. Maybe, maybe. I've got a nasty feeling we're all going to be out of a job because of this. It's <laughs> uh, kind of a long history, too, in like the 80s Marvel comics. Like the there were the comics writers writing a Fantastic Four comic in the Fantastic Four. Like they would license their ideas or something, basically, or like they would they would listen to the story of what they what happened to them and then make comic books about it. And like yeah, Captain yeah. America was like the artist, I think, for the Captain America comic book too. Something like that. Yeah. 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 So there's a Marvel comics that exists in the Marvel universe that licenses all these uh trademarks to yeah. publish I think, books. I think it just makes this too much like that then though. Like it's I mean I I get it that it's our world, so then Marvel and DC comics then exist um but john Byrne writing john Byrne in into his story again but now in the new universe you know yeah it's um i don't know i i, I would just call it too much inside baseball for for like the average viewer reader yeah. and um certainly when you're you're that i mean what are the names here john mark howard John, Mike. I mean, yeah, like no one's. Yeah, you have to kind of know more behind the scenes than like every comic is someone's first comic here. So um, it's an interesting part of the approach that Byrne is taking. But uh, anyway, it's only one page. So we, we we'll leave them for now. And the next page is a uh, kind of a low life apartment where we've got a guy clicking open a uh, ripping open a beer. It's an Iron City, uh, which is actual beer here in Pittsburgh. Um, and uh, he's watching the TV and um, start talking about the new superhero. Um, the president has announced full government support for the superhero calling himself Starbrand. Full government support? Did they run that by the CIA? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, this the, the character is uh, taken aback by this and does a spit take with the beer. Oh, Bobby baby, I didn't hear you come in. What time is it? It's very, uh, it's a little more like um, old timey um, uh, movie here um but you've got kind of a low life guy and his uh his girlfriend shut mistress. up Cassie. mistress i gotta hear this oh that superhero guy isn't he the weirdest thing it's like a comic book or something you didn't tell me hey you've been on the road with your wife last week uh what's the fuss he's on our side oh baby you don't know the half of it and then an amusing moment the tv is saying that confirms he voted for Mr. Reagan and considers himself a good Republican. <laughs> uh, that is counterindicated by the previous uh, issues of Starbrand. I can't remember which one, though. Yeah, I think this is maybe in the same one where he was talking to the bartender. Maybe, but he did. There's There was something else about, like, the, uh, the president. It was an issue or two ago, maybe. I don't know. But I, I'm 100% sure he didn't. He was like, he I didn't never vote, vote yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah. 
No, maybe you're right. It was the local bartender. Okay. I I digressed too far that time. Anyway. Yeah, stop digressing. This guy starts like uh, dancing around. This is too good to be true. No more slogging over half a Pennsylvania selling baby furniture. No more putting up with naggy old Shirley and her crummy mutt. We got our whole world as our oyster, kiddo. Uh, Bobby, you're scaring me. And uh, he starts telling her, um, this star brand guy, Cass, he's our ticket out of here. He's a free pass to Easy Street. What? How? Don't you see? He re- hides, wears the mask to hide his real identity. But I know who he really is. And the way I see it, sweet cheeks, that means from now on, he's working for me. Bobby was the guy outside Myron who was like uh, in a session with Myron in issue number three. Oh. Double checked that one. Remember, he was like, uh, is this guy like listening outside our door? And it never came back to that until now. Hmm. Because he mentioned in that like uh, selling furniture and his wife's naggy dog or something. Oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't, totally didn't pick up on that. So it all adds up. So two pages with Bobby and Cassie, which is, seems like a digression, but okay. And then not quite meanwhile, we have Debbie Duck in a doctor's office. Who's like, Mrs. Fix? Miss Doctor? Oh, well, maybe that's why you didn't go to your regular, regular gynecologist. I was about to offer congratulations, but now I'm not so sure. Is it? Am I? Yes. All the tests were positive, Miss Fix. You're eight to ten weeks pregnant. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> That's why she was throwing up earlier. That's the only reason women in comic books throw up. <laughs> this is why uh, Kicker's Inc. number 11, where... Um, right? Uh, what's her name? Darlene. Uh, Doll got sick. It was like, you're either pregnant or... I don't know what's happening. All the whole world has stopped making sense. We do have a final panel, which is interesting. Next issue: the single most dramatic occurrence since the White Event. Be here in sixty days for Farewell Pittsburgh. Jeez. <laughs> so I guess Ken and Debbie are moving out of Pittsburgh. Perhaps they're going to DC, where they can be more centrally located. <laughs> We're moving on up, moving on. You're up. having a kid. You want to live in the suburbs, not the city. I don't know. That's true. Yeah, you want to get out a little further than uh, the Westgate Village apartments. Seems like I a like... bit much, doesn't it? Like you got now he's a superhero. Duck's pregnant. This guy knows who he is. Working for the president. It's a lot to. And that doesn't like even it. lead up to the single most dramatic occurrence. Yeah, holy moly. It's a, uh, it's so much going on that like, okay, I get that, um, you know, the new broom sweeps clean and, you know, thinking about it, I'm not a hundred percent sure how much we knew at the time in terms of like what's behind the scenes, excuse me, if like we were always, uh, saying, oh, burn hates shooter and will destroy everything he touches if he can. Right. I mean, that's the sort of, you know, again, inside information that you may not have had as a casual comic reader at the time. Um, it definitely takes you into several new directions. 
and most importantly, public superhero now. Um, yeah. Instead of like something weird happened and we can't explain it, you've got we know someone out there can fly and do all these, you know, things that he demonstrated strength and I don't know, bulletproofness. Um, so how does that change the world? Which is maybe okay. Um, fair enough. I mean, at some point we were, would have said you should, you know, you have to either, you know, make a decision and like have people aware that this stuff is going on, I guess. Right. Um, I did kind of generally like the thought that if you gain superpowers, like there's no particularly good reason to run out there and put on the costume, right? Well, that's the thing. Yeah. The costume and calling yourself a hero and doing all that. It's like, yeah, you're, yeah, I don't know. Just what he was doing before, trying to sneak around and maybe he'd wear a mask. And But like that uh, cruise ship that had the terrorists on it and the, the nuke in issue two, things like that, you know, trying to do good, but not like in such an overt manner that you're kind of, you become the story, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, like you could, there's a lot of things you could do carefully too in the eighties that you couldn't do now with global cameras and cell phones and internet, you know, like you fly on over to a poorer country and solve a lot of problems without uh, having a bunch of pictures taken of you and anybody recognizing you. Yeah. You know, it was a tall like... white guy. I don't know. Mm, yeah. There was, um, I think Smallville didn't they said that like uh Clark Kent like didn't start using his uniform like ever and ever that was like, the conceit of it, I think that he, he couldn't be Superman. So he'd just be the red blue blur or something. Yeah. I don't remember if that was like a something they decided to do or if it was like a rights thing, like they could make the story, but it couldn't have Superman in it because they didn't have they weren't able to do a Superman TV series or something, but yeah, I remember there was a thing with like Superboy and Superman being two different rights or something for a while. And like, yeah. Anyway, um, to go back a minute, we said, uh, this, uh, Marvel age 58 had a quick, um, thing with, um, John Byrne, like, oh, Byrne is taking over the star brand and he's, you know, changing the name to the star brand. And they mention his past credits. Um, it doesn't really say much other that he's doing now. So maybe this was his first thing coming back. And Mackie, is, the editor of the new universe is like, this will provide a big boost. He's a big talent. And I'm really glad he um, offered to take over the star brand, which is more than ever our flagship title. What John does will have long reaching effects throughout the entire line. And uh, he um, mentions that he has the plans are uh, involved, like focusing on the brand itself and the power. And so it maybe won't focus on Ken himself any, af after a while. Um, its origins and the full range of its powers have yet to be revealed. Um, that 
aliens or whatever the story is i guess he's got a plan for and uh the device may even pass to other people for a time though ken connell will remain a major part of the storyline and um we're sure you'll see the troubleshooters again (laughs) shame to die wouldn't it troubleshooters just because we're changing the title to Merc instead of Mark Hazard Merc doesn't mean anything bad's going to happen to Mark. <laughs> uh, and uh, not even uh, Ken will be prepared for the response the world will have with his announcement and demonstration of his power. Ultimately, Ken's decisions will ch- literally change the face of the earth in a way that will strike terror into the hearts of everyone on the planet. Yes. They'll also begin to reveal secrets about the white event. Oh, okay. Well, that should be fine then. Um, and uh, they'll be back next month with a full issue devoted to the new universe. So we'll talk a little bit more in a couple of weeks about that. Um, oh, yeah. I don't know. I mean, Burn is a prickly character. I mean... He's been out there a long time and he is one of these guys who makes, you know, people have strong opinions on um, because he has strong opinions on people, I guess. Um, yeah. He will um, carry grudges a long time, but um, he's also super talented. I mean, by any standard. So yeah, uh, it really puts you in a tight spot sometimes. Wow, it'd be great if John Byrne drew a straw brand. And then you get this and you're like, uh, he doesn't really show any of the cool action. He just sort of talks to Myron for a long, long time. That's oh, a good okay. point. There is no action in this, isn't there? So, Unless it, you count like flying moon landers. Yeah, the flying the moon lander. I like, one sh- uh, like a flashback shot and maybe like one panel on a TV of him doing something to the plane. Like, So, yeah, I mean, I could say this is all set up and he's sort of taking things in this new direction and all, but he is a pretty sharp guy and would be, I'm sure, aware that you're supposed to show some at- show some action at some point in the book you know right <laughs> um i don't know um so this is where things become more difficult for us to kind of figure out what they're doing because we have this um in retrospect um like we said before the stories but uh more behind the scenes of um burn and shooter and everything and how that's going to impact how Burn, you know, takes what kind of an attitude he's taking into this project. Um, well, we'll see. I don't know. Burns, uh, I don't know. He, he, he's, it feels like, you know, at this point, he could take it in either way and either be like, you know, I'm going to, um, do such a good job here you'll forget about the shooter's work and you know i will you know surpass it in every way or maybe i'll just trash everything and you, know, <laughs> you won't have a leg to stand on by the time i'm done who knows what the future holds the future of a uh, comic that's already been written <laughs> <sighs> 
Okay. Um, <laughs> let's take a break. You didn't grade it. Ah. <laughs> I'm getting rusty here. You are. Uh, uh. <laughs> are you delayed? So I'll start. Um, <laughs> fumble. Um, yeah, I really generally like and would seek out John Byrne runs on comic books. Fantastic Four, in particular, was good. His X Men work. I really liked his Superman reboot. Right. So oh, yeah, I absolutely love that. You can do some good stuff. Um, yeah. This is too much of like, maybe it's a little bit of bias, but you're taking characters I like and then writing them different. Like, like he's got all the good core pieces there. Like clearly he read it and grasped it and put all the little pieces together to make it feel like these characters, except for the things they're saying. <laughs> like there's none of them feel right. Um, and that bothers me. Uh, as a reader like it's just I'm like ah, no this isn't it that's not what ken would say that's not like debbie's a little close but she doesn't have a lot of lines so yeah I, I, it's a c for me wow okay uh, i i will say that yeah it seems off feels off model in several respects particularly um I mean, in, in kind of ways that, like, you would think Byrne would be able to work around. Like, it's, you know, it's not like he's limited in terms of his talent or ability to understand these characters. Right. So, yeah. Uh, I want to, I'm torn, uh, like, B, B minus as, like, okay, I'm, I'm gonna give this a you know see where this goes but it is like a little already a little more frustrating in the sense of like superpowers not superheroes no i'm a superhero okay okay you you were um transitioning into you know new uh directions here and i guess for the whole new universe so yeah um but the the execution on this is self-sabotaging somehow yeah it it leaves you more frustrated than happy and almost feels like happy about that you know like ha, ha, ha. gotcha <laughs> you wanted to see ken do something cool <laughs> gotcha i don't know i don't the detailed look at a vcr <laughs> um so yeah it's okay I don't want to uh, belabor the point. Mm, let's take a quick break and come back with some Cyforce. I could use a refreshing breath of Cyforce. Awesome. Okay, welcome back. Time for some Cyforce. Cyforce. <laughs> Cyforce issue 16, which makes me feel like we've been we've put a good dent in this, right? So I guess that's halfway to the uh final issue. Yeah. 
That's true. Spoilers. It ends with issue 32. <laughs> no more annuals or nothing. Um, but yeah, so Cypher 16. Um, so we're in the 88 cover dates, February 1988, though it really came out October 27th, 1987. Uh, best we can tell as far as uh, things go. And so we are we are a week or a couple weeks past Star Brand that we started the show with. So. Right. So we're we're flowing chronologically, and we'll we'll see that in this book too. Um, you know, just briefly starting off with the cover, it's very yellow background. Um, to me, it, it looks like we're starting to hit like '90s era art. Uh, very much so. I was yeah. like noting to myself, it feels like we were going from New Mutants to to uh, X Force. Yeah, yeah, um, but it's '87. That's uh, a Ron Lim and Al Milgram cover uh, of the team, kind of like blasting through a wall and facing us, kind of running at us. Uh, Wayne's got kind of a mullet thing going on, which is not his hairstyle, um, which is interesting. But uh, spoilers for next issue. Oh, what a great haircut! Wayne he gets uh, a new haircut. <laughs> we'll see and the Stasi's kind of like dressed like april o'neill from the ninja turtles and like some kind of full-on suit with a bunch of random zippers or something so yeah it's uh yeah it's a it's a nice style i think we'll we'll uh we'll see again um next episode i think um with another um cover and uh i i always have this like diana ross I'm breaking out uh, song, you know, whenever I see uh, like characters doing that sort of busting out at you uh, pose. True. So. Though this is breaking out. No, no G. That's right. I don't know if that's a reference to break in and break into electric boogaloo, but it might be. Probably not. <laughs> I don't know. Those were 80s things, right? I think they were, but they don't really have any relevance to either the cover or the story. <laughs> Uh, I don't know Shabadoo and uh, yeah. But anyway, Turbo. okay, yeah. So, so cover title breaking out uh, inside the book story title Foundations, uh, which will make sense in a second. Uh, but yeah, so writer for this issue is Fabian Nicieza, and he helpfully later on in the book helps us remind how to helps teach us how to pronounce it. Apparently, I was doing okay. Uh, Ron Lim penciler, Sam Delarosa inker. So um, maybe a regular team, or at least seem to be heading towards a regular writer. Um, but the story opens with a big splash page with a guy in a lab coat, uh, basically giving like a slideshow projection to a huge group of people. All right. So there's a big table, uh, a lot of people watching. And so He's showing an image of a burning building uh, with firemen putting it out. And he says, and so he starts with the narration. He says, so what it boils down to is that no matter who you are, what you have accomplished, you have to answer to someone, in my case, an entire company. I'm the golden boy, the superstar of genetic research. As a result, my new employers, Foundations Incorporated, uh, expect a quality sales pitch. I comply. I sell them my dreams, sell them a piece of myself. Uh, ten minutes into the presentation, I hit them with the slides. 
A mansion outside of Seattle. Eight months ago, it blew up sky high. Officially, they claimed it was a gas main under the house. And it took me a while to remember what this was, uh, but that was the issue where we had a uh, nefarious rich guy, basically porn ring that they tried to kind of rope Kathy into. And he continues showing uh, damage in a Russian consulate, uh, damage at a dock, uh, which was our very first issue where uh, Emmett Proudhawk was still alive for half a minute. Uh, Kathy blew up the dock with her telekinetic powers. And so basically, you know, with an interruption with or an interruption from Richard Mindell, vice president of developmental projects, my boss, comma, a toad which is funny as a very unflattering drawing of this guy saying get to the point <laughs> um and so he's going through details going through slides of you know examples where the kids use their powers he also has information about emic emmett proudhawk and how he was around you know his cia itinerary when he was still working for them you know he was around for a lot of those also gets to proudhawk's death uh, he says died in the sanctuary, which we know wasn't quite right. He died, and then we spent a whole weekend at Bernie's issue, dra- the kids dragging him back to the sanctuary. <laughs> um, they see, so he mentions, yeah, so sanctuary, home for a specific group of children Proudhawk died protecting. The reason for the cross-country trip was to recruit. And so this guy is yelling again, uh, which gives us an introduction to uh, the, the, the speaker's name as Dr. Emilio Lick. Lisiardo? L-I-C-T. I was going to say Licardo. Licardo? Uh, yeah. I've, uh, Lichardo? Yeah. Let's go with Licardo. I think Licardo is much easier to say. So let's call it the right. Um, so he, so he's like, get to the point, get to the point. He says, the children caused all that damage. And I'm like, no, oh, no time for jokes. Uh, so it's like you're saying that human beings were able to be destructive forces without weapons. And you know, some guy makes fun of his superheroes like, yeah, they probably wore tights and capes. Uh, a woman chimes in with, don't laugh, Harv. Didn't you see reports about that star brand character? Uh, what? Left, left the lunar module on the White House lawn. Hey, what? <laughs> hey. <laughs> so, hey, good timing there. Uh, two books in a row uh, lined up pretty well there. <laughs> nice so yeah this doesn't have a date i guess um some you know some issues will have this is uh, september 12th or something um, yeah i feel like we can get one later but i'm not sure but it's probably smart to not try and pin it down too tightly as far as that goes um but yeah so so the Ricardo goes on he's like the world has changed there are people out there with tremendous powers people who need guidance our our guidance and someone chimes in with, and what does foundations get out of it? Uh, he says, quite possibly anything we want. Uh, don't, so he's don't, pitching don't. this genetic company, you know, that we sh- they should take advantage of these people with powers. So, yeah, I guess we're moving towards new universe. The word is starting to creep out a bit. Right, Starbrand is public, and more yeah. than just the CIA is starting to know about people with powers. Nice. Yeah, we're getting, uh, I don't know, this is like a next stage in the evolution of the story. I don't know. Yeah. you feel it kind of going around the country like this. 
So interesting. Um, yeah, it's definitely, it kind of speeds things along if they don't have to reinvent the, the argument of like, how could people have powers every time something weird happens? You know? Right. Right. And we don't have to mind control every single person at the end of the issue, uh, you know, have Wayne, have them forget what they saw and that kind of thing. So things can move okay. forward, but, but we'll see, we'll, we'll see, we'll see how and things then, go. I had uh, that. Let's see. We, so the doc in Mendocino was issue one. Um, blowing up the house in Seattle was issue seven and the uh, Russian consulate was issue 13. I want to say mm. 13. Just but, doing the editor's job for them. Yeah, you, I don't uh, see a little box there, uh, asterisk number 13. Maybe they didn't have space for it. There's a lot of boxes of narration. <laughs> he does talk a bit. He's talking and thinking when he's not talking. So Yes. <laughs> um, but we do get like the coroner's report and stuff like that with a lot of details that uh, that uh, do jive with things we've seen before. So that's, that's not cool. Yeah. Always nice right. to get the book correctly. <laughs> uh, he must so, have read the old issues like yeah. we did. <laughs> These people like us. Uh, so, uh, so next page, page four, we cut to uh, Knob Hill, San Francisco. Uh, nice neighborhood, nice houses, nice people, mostly. <laughs> um, so it looks like. Uh, Kathy was maybe at a party or on a date with a guy in a nice neighborhood. She's kind of dressed fancy, but she's it, we're introduced to her leaving the building crying. And like you know, the guy's chasing after her is like, oh, she didn't mean it. Um, and so apparently the boyfriend or love interests mother said something about her, uh, maybe about her being an orphan. It's not really clear uh, exactly what was said. Um but Kathy's mad and she doesn't really take much crap. Uh, she's, she's like, just because I live at Sanctuary doesn't mean I can be treated like some kind of low life. And the guy's like scratching his head. I know you're right. He's like, does that mean I can walk back in with you? And he says, um, <laughs> so the family does not approve, I guess. Yeah. You know, he's running into Randy O'Brien type problems or something, but mm. he's a, uh, I, 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 I would imagine from like the rich neighborhood and their discussion that he's supposed to be like a rich preppy, but he doesn't really dress distinguishingly. Yeah, um, not necessarily, so. but teenager, presumably uh, McMurphy is his name, apparently. Uh, so she kind of storms uh, out. The old Ita- or Irish, Irish. Here we go again. <laughs> There's a big gate. Um, and as you know she's kind of leaving in tears she's you know she was always the hardest on herself and really didn't like having the powers you know she was kind of wealthy kid but didn't like uh what happened to her uh felt like it made her a freak and you know not fit in anymore so this just confirms that so she's leaving crying like was she right you know all because of my powers stupid freak running dirty with dirty freak and so she's talking about herself and then uh Basically, she just lets go and like has like a huge psychic blast in the front yard. Like the fence crumples, the tree gets knocked down, the car gets damaged, the light poles. So we see this cool, uh, like yellow concentric circles kind of look at her powers. <laughs> and um, that doesn't Havoc really help. Does that in the X Men? 
Uh, it's like a havoc kind of look. Yeah, yeah. Degree, but I think he fires beams. All right, you're right. Okay. Mm. So everybody kind of comes out like looking like what the hell's going on? Yeah, but they don't they don't necessarily clue it to her. Uh, and she kind of runs crying back to sanctuary. Um home for runaways. Uh so she comes in and runs into you know some of the rest of the gang. Uh Thomas and Stasi are watching TV. Um maybe some other kids. Uh, it's not clear that they're the Cy Force gang, but you know, they you know, kind of grab her, comfort her. Uh, Anastasia is like tries to use her healing, but um, we get a again lots of narration boxes in this one. It's as Kathy's tears fall in violent bursts, Stasi envelops her in a healing cocoon. She can do nothing for her friend's emotional pain, but the fatigue, the cuts, and bruises quickly disappear. <laughs> I always like that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, there's a lot of fun t-shirts in this so like as the kids are kind of coming like what's going on like you know how can we help uh, what happened uh, like Wayne's wearing all black with like a Walkman going in an REM t-shirt uh, Tyrone is cool. of course wearing Nike gear uh, both Thomas and Stasi are wearing Kansas is for heart and sweets sweats <laughs> Kansas is for love yeah. and sluts. It's, it's just, I, I had a hard time with this one. They're both wearing like the same shirt. <laughs> it was, yeah, I, that's hard to, to read, but yeah, uh, Stasi's does seem to say it's Kansas is for hearts and sweats. Um, it's most weird to me that they were wearing the same shirt, you know, matching um, clothes. Yeah. Is, I could see like, like if you're at, what's basically an orphanage you know they might have like giveaway kind of almost like goodwill kind of clothes kind of stuff or who okay. knows, but, I don't know, it's, um, it's meant something hearts. to the artist or i'm guessing yeah i mean um it's it's well on where we on we go yeah <laughs> but yeah, this is just kind of interesting little details uh wayne chimes in with uh, Kath, tell us what happened. You look like you got nuked. <laughs> what? Nuked? With the new? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> that mediocre catchphrase? <laughs> uh, so, like, Kathy's not dealing. She's like, ah, stick it, Tucker. You wouldn't understand. He's like, call me Mr. Understanding. And he actually uses his powers on her, like, for a minute to try and get her to explain or to read her mind to kind of understand what happened. He's sort of panicking. And that kind of sets off a bit of a, a, a tussle. Thomas interrupts him with his, you know, uh, what is this power really? Like power leeching or strength leeching kind of grab, you know, hits yeah. Wayne. He kind of falls over and they clobber into Tyrone's bot, Tyrone, who then flies out of his body and they're just kind of in a heap. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so, you know, Things are kind of messy. They they chat a little bit. Uh, Wayne apologizes. You know, you know, really sort of did it because we cared, um, but she doesn't really want to talk about it. She's like, "What happened was personal. Just a lousy night. Don't have a baby because of it." And I'm like, "You sure?" And like, "I'll be out. You know, I'll be sleeping in a minute." Um, again, uh, cut to tomorrow. 
uh there's kind of an odd scene where like all the guys are in the bathroom together and there's like no shower door so like it's, it's not graphic but thomas is pretty much just standing there naked showering <laughs> it's, from a, it's a little more locker room than i would have imagined as far well as, you yeah. know there's, there's always room for another locker and locker room in the sanctuary that's true. <laughs> You'd think there'd be more bathrooms, though. They could each have their own, just given how infinitely sized it was. Uh, but yeah, as the guys are still kind of coming down the stairs talking about what happened, uh, they're interrupted by uh, Colby Shaw, who comes in and introduces them to our Dr. Emilio Licardo, our geneticist from the beginning who knows about their powers. Um, and so yeah, he kind of introduces himself, you know, head of research and development for Foundations Incorporated, a genetic laboratory outside of Denver. Um, you know, and so he says, you know, I know you've been cursed with genetic abnormality, which resulted in abilities you'd rather not have. What would you say if I offered you the means to be cured of these abilities? Um, genetic abnormality makes it sound like a mutancy. Yeah. Which I, weren't they sort of deliberately like this, these were not mutations uh, in some of the new universe discussions from the editors and, and uh, letters page kind of stuff. Uh, but, but, yeah, it's an interaction between their genetics and the white event. So, okay, they're coming at it from one angle, which... Yeah. What if Professor Xavier was kind of a creep? Well, a lot of people say he is anyway, but... <laughs> Um, so, so yeah, yeah, that's sort of his pitch, you know, come with me. Kathy's like, yeah, what do we do? Let's do this. You know, so she's obviously would at this point, we'd be happy to get rid of him based on what happened to her. Um, Wayne is more skeptical and outspoken. He's saying, we don't do nothing yet. We ain't going to be, we ain't going to no lab to be picked at like monkeys. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, which sets off another argument. All the kids are kind of arguing and, uh, uh, Colby Shaw interrupts them and you know sends the doctor out. Uh, says, says, Let's discuss this like civilized savages, she says. Um, and so she kind of gives a speech, you know, before the kids start up again, let's go over what's what here. Foundations is a respected and renowned facility. Dr. Licardo worked with them at Proud Hawk while they were with the CIA. Uh, if you go there and they can't help you, or even if you don't like it, you can always come back. It's not like the house is going to blow up while you're gone or anything. It's a well, weirdly probably... specific thing you say there, Colby. Yeah. Well, I guess because Michael's not there. <laughs> so, but yeah, um, it makes it sound like it is going to blow up when they're gone. <laughs> so a uh, uh, respected and renowned facility... Uh, like or unlike the clinic for paranormal research in Wisconsin? Yeah. Uh, no one Top of the line. Um, top of the line. <laughs> um, oh, and look, the, the part that Licardo worked with Proudhawk while, and both of them were in the CIA together is a little weird as like, I'm a, a scientist, but I'm also a CIA agent. Okay. But covering mm -hmm. a lot of bases there, but okay. Mm -hmm. On we go. And we go. Um, so yeah, with a little more arguing, you know, they're they're leaning more towards going with that sales pitch. Um, Wayne does sort of a quick brain scan through the wall uh, of Doctor Licardo. He's like, "Let me see something first. Um, 
and he he comes up with essentially all right maybe he's straight you know i'll go side so someone's gonna say i told you so later you know as he's mind reading Ricardo, i think he's sort of thinking to himself it would give them a chance to lead normal lives and us an opportunity to make tremendous strides in genetic research um but we know it's maybe a bit more than that we'll, we'll his plans will kind of come through later um so they have like a, a cool foundation van which is always fun like it's red it's got like a f logo on it in yellow it would be like a bad action figure van for like the flash or something <laughs> as if the the flash needs a car or but it's got the colors going um yeah as they drive you know he's sort of thinking himself like, eight hours later a company van's taking us through the rockies the kids won't shut up they ask about everything from proud walk to the barbed wire around the facility. I have answers for all of their questions and they believe in me because they want to. So uh. <laughs> it's, I mean, already like Wayne, you know, scans the guy and he's like nothing overtly dangerous, but then he's, his narration is a little dubious, you know, it yeah. kind of gives us just like not a, flat out i'm gonna go kill everyone but it's like well this will work out well for me my plans will come to fruition yes <laughs> yeah so i mean the, the next two pages are really kind of like a montage with a short novel written over the top of it of this guy's narration <laughs> i guess we could call it um so when, when i said um the uh, uh swamp thing anatomy lesson um about uh justice last episode mm -hmm. um this is even more so because they have so like a scientist analyzing the super person and trying to have scientific rationales for their powers yeah so. which is always a little tricky right in superheroics right? like where does the energy come from and you know all these sorts of things um but yeah it's, it's kind of interesting you know he's but this is this is part of his work right he wanted to kind of analyze figure out what's going on with these kids where does these powers come from can we use them for something can we remove them and, and help the kids kind of thing um so yeah he does wayne tucker um you know and he's he ends with, I learned two things. One, he's dangerous. Two, Maria Rickover is a great dancer. I didn't quite get the reference there, but. You know, I think so. These, there's the three scientists that are in dark blue, I guess, are just, you know, have been ordered to dance by Wayne. Ah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Better than <laughs> he expects or something. She's this, this gal, all of them have this very like MTV kind of a pose as they're dancing there. So, gotcha. Like, <laughs> um you know tyrone he's he's probably more is more mysterious like how do you explain astral projection as far as that goes that will become more important later i think uh they got a shot of kathy like knocking over dominoes with her mind uh you know he says and uh unfortunately her abilities are probably the easiest to monitor and control she's the most apt to learn but only if she wanted to be taught you know so you know, she's yeah sort of the least interested in becoming uh like an expert at her powers to a degree uh, though that hasn't always been the case um yeah he talks about 
Thomas, a little bit about Stasi and how they're opposites. You know, why do their powers seem to cancel each other out? It shows them like he drains the energy of a rat and then she heals the rat and then they <laughs> high five each other in a burst of cool energy or something. Um, it's, it's sort of interesting. Um, the, and, and this this part here, like even psychiatric psych, psychiatric is fascinated by the obvious attraction among such different people. Is it saying they like each other? That's what I'm getting. Mm. Like, I don't know that we've gotten that in the book, really, though. That's the que- the the question because you know there was you know with these wearing the same shirt before it was like oh, yeah. is this a suggestion they were setting that up now <laughs> yeah so maybe this is the setup for later yeah but yeah he he kind of gets sciency uh, you know he's talking about Wayne he's like something in the thalamus like part of the brain you know we don't have a clue as to what is able to intercept neural transmissions and create new ones you know. And, you know, of course, it's going to have to be a little bit hand wavy, like, you know, neuron firing, like there's atoms involved. Like, you know, how do you intercept that? Like there's movies like to talk about brain waves and stuff like that. Like it's something that's coming out of your head that you know a scanner could collect and read and understand or maybe turn you into a computer program or something like that. But, uh, but yeah, they, they do kind of a nice job. Like nothing seems totally stupid or bonkers. Uh, probably what the most interesting bit of all of the, the tech, techno stuff is talking about Tyrone. They've got him in like an MRI, you know, he's like Jessup. And I wonder why I'm losing my hair astral form. My butt, it has light sound substance and mobility. Uh, implies the manipulation of a wide spectrum of energy wavelengths. You may not know it, but Tyrone Jessup could very well be one of the most powerful beings on the face of the earth. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a really a... weak power. Like he can't even punch somebody. <laughs> this is, uh, yeah, I mean, I, 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 this is a more obvious writerly trick of like, you're going to take the weakest character and, tell it you know explain to you why he's the most powerful and the most interesting and blah 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 blah. yeah but it is interesting if you were trying to explain his powers scientifically then like uh, he has to be able to manipulate light and sound but also his consciousness travels too right like which is just unexplainable unless there's some yeah, I don't know. It just doesn't work, right? You can't really explain a ghost form flying around that can talk and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, there's. I mean, it's like when Starbrand talks about a, like an energy version of himself that goes out, like right when when he's doing things. But it's yeah, this is extending from his body. So weird. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, there's um uh, I like the image of uh, Kathy in the uh, cat scan or whatever it is. Yeah, it's pretty good. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of a neat neat sort of comic montage piece. Uh, kind of moving on from there, we kind of get back to the kids who honestly look like they're still in the clinic. They're all kind of hanging out in like a uh, living room, kind of break room kind of thing. Some are watching TV, some are crashed uh watching entertainment tonight apparently so we get the tv celebrity psychologist hillary james was admitted to the ballard clinic i'm assuming they mean ballad clinic in georgetown uh, what 
which I don't think really means anything other than just like a, a fun little nod to Nightmask still exists. Yeah, I looked up Hillary James and there was apparently like a singer by that name who might have been active in the 80s. But uh, so it's either a reference I don't get or a, you know, like the writer's a fan of this sort of underground musician and he sort of just sticks her name in there as a shout out. Yeah, you know? that might make sense. Uh, but yeah, so they, they're talking amongst themselves kind of like, eh, well, we haven't run into any problems yet. Like, no, I told you so's. Uh, you know, so they're kind of happy with how things are going. Uh, but then we cut to nothing Dr. could possibly go wrong. What yeah. could possibly go wrong? Cut to Dr. Licardo and his boss, um, who's kind of yelling at him in the hallway, basically. And he's like, it's almost two weeks. You know, what do you have to show for it except for high budgets and a peptic ulcer? Uh, he's kind of poking him. Uh, and he's like, any chance we can discuss this a little more privately? Um, but the guy's just kind of railing him, railing into him into the hallway. And he's like, why are you so upset? And the boss says, you knew there would be three phases of study, preparatory, diagnostic, and surgical. Uh, presumably preparatory, they were checking out their powers, diagnostic, like all those CT scans and stuff, but surgical. <laughs> he's like, I want results. You know, we're all pleasers, Amelia. The lab boys please you. You please me. I please the board. Please me, Ricardo. Okay, that's doesn't that's not gonna fly in HR, but <laughs> we get uh, a in in uh, Licardo's head. He's like, "Give me a bat and I'll please you." A bloated piece of <laughs> um, but problem is, uh, while the kids were watching Entertainment Tonight, uh, Tyrone was dozing on the couch, but he wasn't so much dozing as he was exploring in his astral form. So we see him kind of. Having listened in, saying surgical, uh oh, better tell the others. Um, so he sort of dramatically blasts his way, his astral form flies through the TV that they're all watching. Um, which looks like it causes static and kind of messes it up, which is new. Yeah, um, I, I think, uh, like Shadow Cat did that in the X Men. Yeah, I, I don't remember Tyrone doing that here. We're though, trying to so. turn these guys into the X Men. <laughs> um yeah he flies through he's like we got trouble he's like i over the heard the doctor talking about with some suit and wayne's like i knew it i knew it <laughs> um kathy's honestly annoyed you know your spying is gonna ruin this for us and he's like chill out all i know is they were arguing about how slow things are going and licardo mentioned that the next step in our study was surgical and like ah uh, they wouldn't operate on us would they and like all throughout the background, we see like non word bubble text of I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. It was like Wayne's sounding off. Um, like, ah, shut up. Uh, Thomas says, shut up, Tucker. Maybe Jessup misunderstood what they said. And maybe Licardo's a scuzzba. And maybe Licardo's a scuzz bucket. Let's play it slow for a change and feel them out. He's like, so they're not going in guns blazing just yet. He's like, yeah, I'll feel them out. <laughs> uh, I appreciate that. Like it not going off half cocked just yet That's... right they have been working better at these sorts of things lately um so yeah in the next morning wayne is meeting with the scientists 
and you know excuses himself to the bathroom basically finds a guy who works in files and brain controls him and he's like run the file merkel everything you got on the kids from san francisco so we get this huge long uh printout like back from the good old days of the dot matrix printer <laughs> it's making all the little chicka chicka uh, sounds at the bottom <laughs> there you go yeah dot matrix yeah uh, there you go <laughs> he grabs the whole thing and kind of runs it over to them and actually kind of like charges into their minds like Tyrone, Kathy, Stassi, Boyd out! <laughs> so they all leave their room, you know, like he's got the evidence of uh, you know, future plans and so it, presumably he's keyed into what they wanted to do. Uh, so he brings out everybody, uh, brings everybody out mind control some dudes out of the bathroom they have like an impromptu meeting you know they're using us they're trying to take our powers copy them or something and he shows them the the big old printout it's like oh now what <laughs> it's like find the exit um, but you know the, the one who is most invested in you know maybe getting rid of her powers was kathy and so she's really upset she's like i don't believe it shut up shut up i want some answers and she walks right into big giant science equipment room or something uh, and starts yelling at everybody. It's like, what are, what are you doing with us? Uh, but that sets off the, you know, the foundation, I guess. And Dr. Lucardo and a whole security team kind of comes in and starts tranquilizing people. So uh, a little bit like the clinic now. Yeah. Hey, where'd uh, Dave Landers go? I've got the tranquilizer gun. Come on. <laughs> Oh, Landers has got so many whole tranquilizer <laughs> holes in him. <laughs> oh, dear. Only Wayne's takes, not that tough. Yeah, it only takes but he one. does have a leather jacket. So That's true. I guess it went through the leather jacket. Um, but yeah, so now we're in some problems here. So, you know, Wayne was kind of running after Kathy. It gets kind of tranquilized right in the back of the neck. And uh, Licardo's standing there. It's shame it's come down to this children. Uh, and Thomas is probably the, the toughest of the group who had always kind of led their, uh, you know, when they needed to have like a mission and break in or get something done. So he's kind of standing off and like, ain't it though? <laughs> um, and see what's it? so the doctor says, what's it going to be, kids, your way or mine? <laughs> and we've got kind of a nice two panel thing of like, you know, are you going to fight the security guards? Or are you coming back to the scientists? Um, and, uh, he warns Stasi away from sort of healing and kind of bringing uh, uh, Wayne back to life uh, or, you know, untranquilizing him. Uh, but at the, the bottom corner of 17 is this great panel of Kathy who's just fed up. <laughs> like, so we see her like zoomed in on the eyes and everything is shaded like a dark, dark red. She looks pissed, <laughs> which is pretty fantastic. So, um, she basically lets off with the same kind of psychic telekinetic boom that she had in front of the boyfriend's house uh, and just sends everything flying like glass equipment scientists you know, big no everything's uh, everything goes flying but that kind of gives them their opening uh, again it's kind of a cool piece of art like she's in the middle uh, standing with the Cyforce crew, who is kind of mostly standing there as everybody else kind of gets blasted away. There's like a nice little bit of uh, 
Thomas Boyd, he was wearing like a trench coat and like kind of grabbing onto one of the security guards in kind of a cool pose, uh, even though it's fairly small. Yeah, it's uh, like the the circle, the concentric circles on her showing the power emanating out is pretty cool. And it's kind of, um, I guess she can control, still control it well enough that she doesn't blast all her friends who are standing around her. Right. Yeah, so post-explosion, or psychic shockwave, uh, Stasi heals up Wayne, uh, Thomas, Size Stalker, you know, takes out one of the security guys, kind of like grabs him right in the face with his uh, energy-stealing powers, uh, grabs his trank gun and just starts knocking out security guys. Um, so yeah, the, the kids basically run for it, um, and... You know, Wayne uses his powers to make the scientists all kind of freeze. Uh, Kathy blasts uh, a group of security guards as they were coming through a doorway to kind of like knock them out of the way. Uh, the Dr. Licardo is like, security to the front entrance. And he's thinking to himself, they were so quick, so skilled. Could some of them have purposely held back during the testing? So much power. What have I started? Um, so, yeah, the, the kids in the last couple issues have been pretty strong taking on russian consulates and stuff it's it's not the same group that was you know terrified and barely had control of their powers from before um as, as they're kind of getting rid of michael was the best thing they ever yeah i guess Jeez, it worked um they're running towards the front entrance which you know for now looks like a big glass uh like lobby entryway um and Tyrone kind of flies ahead with his astral form to look that is just loaded with security guards with guns, uh, all waiting for them outside, uh, as outside of the entrance that they're running towards. Uh, so he kind of flies back in really quick. It's like about 20 men right in front, like bowling pins guy in a van about 30 yards to the left. Trust me. Um, and we're getting to zingers now even so kathy's like hope they have medical insurance <laughs> yippee ki yay mother whatever um so yeah the art looks like she's blasting through a wall but i think she's blasting through this big glass front and just sends glass shards flying everywhere so basically just distracts slash takes out the entire security force with glass shards uh it's not like the movie safety glass i guess <laughs> So, well, I think they're, yeah, they're sort of all huddled on the ground with their hands over their heads. So at the very least blew over everyone um, and blew out this wall of glass. So so they make a break for the van and there's a a particularly sweaty van driver (laughs) looking, looking panicked. uh, And, uh, Cy Starker, uh, Thomas Boyd's like, yeah, yeah, stay just like that, buddy. And he grabs him and drains him, like, calls him a wimp and throws him out of the van, Grand Theft Auto style. Um, and <laughs> as, as they're loading, loading up to get away, uh, uh, Wayne Tucker's standing there. He's like, Tucker, what are you doing? He's like, Licardo, you pig. <laughs> uh, the doctor's like children please you're getting yourself into a very delicate situation you can't use your powers like this not expect some serious repercussions look at all this damage says the guy who was gonna tranquilize and do surgery on them um and they're like wayne come on he's like wait a minute and so you know we see wayne mind linking with 
Dr. Licardo. It says, Emilio, baby, next time you think about using us or you, uh, next time you think about using us or our powers, think again, which is an interesting mental command to give somebody. And so then he has this confused look on his face and we get the, uh, while he's been narrating mostly the whole story now, he's kind of like, their powers, use their powers, their powers, use their powers. So if he's thinking about them using their powers, think again. So he's like stuck in this endless mind loop of thinking about them using their powers, which causes them to start thinking about them using their powers. So he's just standing there, <laughs> the poor guy, which honestly, I almost feel a little bit bad for him. Uh, poor John Lithgow, which is what he looks like. <laughs> um so the the boss guy standing right there who had been giving him crap the whole time is like don't watch them get away you idiots shoot and the security guys are like shoot and he's like oh um um follow them get them back here <laughs> uh but the kids in the van like the cool van with the f and the red and yellow uh, um take off crash through the fence uh, but yeah, there's there's a car of goons chasing them, uh, which almost never ends well for the car filled with the bad guys, right? Like James Bond, any kind of action movie, like, you know, that car's going to flip over or, you know, get its tires shot out or something's going to smack against the windshield and, you know, something bad's going to happen to those poor guys in their little hatchback. Yeah. <laughs> uh. um, but yeah, so it's a pretty small car to be it honest. It is a small yeah. car. It looks like a bunch of guys just kind of crammed in there and like, oh, let's get after them. Um the the back hatch of the minivan is open and like all the kids are there and like, all right, what are we gonna do? And like Kathy is like, ah, too she says, too pooped to pump, which is a weird little slang, but I'm guessing she used her used her powers a bunch. And uh she's like, Tucker? It's like, oh, not until I've had a dozen Tylenol. Um and Wayne says, go get him Casper, uh, apparently Tyrone. So his astral form flies through the windshield, just basically scaring and distracting the guys. And, you know, they go flying off the road into a tree. Um, doesn't look like it's got airbags. So those, those guys are in a world of hurt or or uh, fatally injured. We don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, Remember DP7, they were like... Uh... Randy was like super worried about the people that they forced off the road. And it was like, no, they were trying to kill you. Get moving. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not, not these kids. Nope. <laughs> oh, no. uh, so yeah. I was like, oh, you could have killed them. They could have killed us. And, like, and uh, Thomas is like, not bad, not bad at all. And they're like, yeah, like, like, like a good nuclear explosion. It's like, ah, sissy. Aspirins are gonna have to wait, Tucker. We have to ditch this van and our ride. Uh, ditch this van and our ride out of here is coming up. And they're pulling up close to another car. They're probably going to steal. Uh, <clears throat> and you know, we get the last bit of narration is like, even though I doubt we have much to worry about from foundations. Well, I mean, you just blew up their building. They have a lot of security guards. I'm guessing you do have things to worry about from foundations, uh, but perhaps not Dr. Licardo, uh, who is just still standing there thinking their powers, use their powers, their powers, use their powers. Uh, and that's the end. 
though thankfully we get a, an excellent little next issue blurb. So it says next issue, troublemaker, comma, imprint, comma, Serge Vladimirov. So new paranormals. Um, this is the Siberian Project. Rod's vow and Colby Shaw blows her top. So it's a lot going to be going on, I guess. Yeah, it was uh, that was us. <laughs> yeah, there's quite a bit of action there. There's a lot of discussion about powers and what they were kind of going to get, what they were thinking about, and how the the kids' powers work. That I did kind of end up glossing over just because it was so long. But uh, yeah, a lot of action to the end, and another breakout, uh, and maybe a new villain or a new villain. Uh, like the clinic kind of was where you have this this foundation or or maybe not we don't really know yeah it's still a little ambiguous because that like the the Licardo's boss was like no i've not shoot i mean just follow them i was like is he you know is he saying that because it's uh you can't just shoot people <laughs> randomly right. even if you are so unless you're like a you know spy agency or something so yeah Maybe he he's a little more he, legit, yeah. Yeah, or was he saying that because he still wants to capture them and steal their powers or something? Maybe not. Yeah. So, um, overall, a lot going on. Yes. Oh my goodness. So, <laughs> I was saying before we started that, uh, as Andy pointed out, um, the the. Emilio Licardo looks like it was modeled on uh, John Lithgow, which uh, also I was reminded um, his character in Buckaroo Banzai across the eighth dimension was Emilio Lizardo. So I can't help but uh, assume that's a direct reference that uh, you might more likely to get at the time. It's a little gated at this point. Yeah, it blew over my head. But the yeah, um the the Lithgow look, you know, it's a you know, very big forehead and a little what do you call that, wall-eyed or something at times. Mm-hmm. Um it's a good caricature kind of a deal look. Um, even if it sometimes verges into Mac tonight, as I as I pointed out. His boss, Mindell, um was uh reminded me of a uh, character actor john polito who would have um started at this point uh in in some cohen brothers movies you could if you look him up i think um you know you might agree or not that that's a good sort of uh, reference that uh, lim was working for him don't know um but yeah the big thing here um ron lim i guess really energized this book a lot i mean yeah he, I agree. he is not holding back uh the first splash page where he's got like 20 people in the room yeah. to the last fight there's like 20 guards standing around and stuff so yeah he he goes all out and i uh maybe it's uh it's a little bit more of a 90s style, so you'll start seeing more of it in other Marvel books. I think at this point, Liefeld isn't on a book, but definitely um, Todd McFarlane is on Hulk or Spidey. I want to say Hulk. Mm. Um, 
So a couple of those guys are sort of developing their style and uh, Ron is uh, it's interesting. I sort of independently arrived at a similar point. Um, Ron was from uh, Sacramento, as I recall. I lived out there for a while. Oh, okay. and, uh, so he was known as a local guy made good. This um, definitely helps uh, pick up the slack from Starbrand, which had no action. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Starbrand and thinking about it is like, you know, and it it seems like what they're going for in this book is minimized action. So let's just take it out completely. <laughs> and here they go in the opposite direction. First um, superhero in the new universe does no on-page superheroics. <laughs> just just purposefully like um antagonistic towards the audience i don't know yeah um so yeah this is i i believe um so with fabian nisieza writing i think he'll be the regular writer from now on and lim will be around for a while so i think this is um sort of the the finish the this sort of transition state where we've got new um long-term uh creative teams assigned to all the books dp7 will just continue with gruenwald ryan justice has peter david and lee weeks this has nesias and lim and okay what am i missing there starbrand has Star Burn, john Byrne. john burn and john burn um so yeah there this is the new new universe i think is now like established or um yeah maybe this is the new all action sci force like next issue like stassi will be like hiding behind kathy healing her while she's using her powers so she can like absorb bullets and get healed instantly <laughs> and it's like uh, yeah i like the the, the cover has uh, like um, even the the characters don't always have like visual signs for their powers, but they sort of created them. So Stasi has this glowing purple hand. Yeah. Which, okay, I guess. Um, Thomas has a nice Kirby crackle around his. Um, yeah, a lot going on. Like I said, they might be setting up some Thomas Stasi connection that we haven't seen before. Um, Tyrone is. Uh, sort of set up as like more powerful than he seems, which seems a little uh, okay. Yeah. Contrived. Um, Kathy's consistent. Wayne's consistent. So. Yeah. Enjoying that. Um, I would give it an A minus, I think this time around. Okay, I will concur. I will yeah. concur. I'd been thinking B plus, but uh, you know, I think you're you're. I don't want to like hold back on when I I do enjoy something. So let's up yeah. it to A minus. This is a if, good if I had planned well enough to actually record all of my ratings, I would be curious if Sky <laughs> Force has gotten an A rating before. <laughs> That's a good question. It always huh? sort of fell in the middle for me. So um sometimes i liked it more sometimes less but it's it was never a disaster but never like chef's kiss you know right yeah i think there's still room for improvement but 
this was a, definitely a good issue. I think uh, I go along with that. Well, let's take a quick look at uh, Universe News, which has some interesting um, notes. We have a profile on Fabian Nicieza. And uh, yeah, he's only worked on Cyforce, Codename Spitfire, and Marvel Age. Yeah, okay. This is his first work, I guess, really. Yeah, he's got uh, upcoming stuff he's proud of. And uh, he says he's proud of Cyforce number 25, and he hasn't even written it yet. Mm. He is um, born in Buenos Aires. Interesting. Um, Has a girlfriend, maybe. Um, uh, Let me see. He does like R.E.M., Oh right, yeah. I like reason I got into comics. I was dropped as a head. I dropped. I was dropped as an infant <laughs> twice. Um, let's see. Biggest influences on his work include David Mamet, which is like the. Remember Brian Michael Bendis was always into that Mamet, and uh, uh, there was another guy. Um, that kind of fast talking back and forth uh, dialogue style, very popular. Um, he says he has upcoming ideas for various things that I don't remember if ever appeared. But for the record, how do you pronounce his name? Fabianisa. Okay, I feel like I've done it okay. <laughs> yeah, sure. That's that's pretty good. There's a cool thing at the bottom was um. Uh, it's like they were talking about having little bits and pieces from the new universe, little uh, you know, pieces of paper and stuff. And this is a note, like from, from the computer printout that um, Wayne had grabbed out of that room, with Foundation's Genetic Research Center diagnostics of Tyrone Jessup, and uh, this it's talking about uh, you know the pseudoscience behind what he does and how he does it and blah, blah, blah. Um, I get too deep in the weeds on that, but there's also a little like post-it on there that has um, some notes, something about calling someone in San Francisco for the coroner's report on proud Hawk, which we saw in the story, check family backgrounds on children, new tapes for Pulitzer. I don't know. Call mm-hmm. someone and ask what or who is the Medusa Network and does CIA have foundation info? Some personal stuff. And it says that's from the desk of Andrew Chaser, who I don't remember a character in the story by that name. Doesn't ring a bell. So we'll see if we see more foundations. Medusa Network, I can only say I, I've seen that phrase in covers coming up or something so it's a bit of a spoiler there uh, or at least a reference to something that they have planned Um, and then there is an interesting thing about the in the sidebar I found about the the big uh, goof they'd made and what it is is um, they'd put out a couple of um, promos for star brand of um ken connell you know demonstrating his powers and there was one that was like 
flying man sighted that was at the bottom of last month's universe news. And then there's uh, the full page ad, uh, a real life superhero with uh, obviously, you know, um, Ken Connell out of his mask, which he would have been in, but Ken Connell goes public. And they point out that they'd screwed up their dates on those. Um, the flying man sighted was dated October 27, but a real life superhero with like a full proof of uh, star brand is September 22nd. And they meant for that to be the other way around. Thus destroying my childhood. Uh, <laughs> unbelievable. It's even more unbelievable is like they go to all, you have in the story a reference to Starbrand a few weeks ago doing, uh, dropping something on the present on the White House lawn, right? Yeah. And so that dates that the the whole this book to weeks after that in October, which they just established. But then you see this printout has diagnostic evaluations, August seventeenth to August twenty eighth. Oh. Don't 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 turn it up again, Mackie. <laughs> What's going on, man? I know Joanne Spaldo was like a like distractingly attractive, but please keep your mind on your work, guys. I don't know what's going on in Mackie office there. No. And so we're gonna uh, get some kind of future story where Tyrone is the most powerful being on the face of the planet. <laughs> uh, about <laughs> He's uh yeah go watch go watch a game Tyrone take it easy don't try to be the most powerful being on the planet you're not you wouldn't enjoy it at all um all the uh let's see the the last bit of the universe news was saying since we don't give no prizes in the new universe which is what we'd established already um particularly to ourselves, we thought you'd all like to have um, everyone who noted the discrepancy gets a universe-sized new prize instead. So there we go. All us nitpickers get new prizes now. <laughs> Probably too late to get one on the August date on the printout, though. I'll go hound Mackie on Facebook. I think he showed up there once or twice. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Let's see. Is that about it for this week's episode? Yeah. Yeah. And next time we can continue covering our new universe with Justice number 16 and DP7 number 16. All right. Justice 16. Having suffered at the hand of one paranormal, will Justice seek justice or vengeance on all paranormals? Written by Peter David and penciled by Lee Weeks. We could change the name, the title to Vengeance. That would also be cool. I guess though a little confusing if you're trying to get the next issue. Um, code name vengeance. Vengeance name code. TP seven sixteen gang war hits the clinic, paranormal sanctuary, and the first victim win or lose is DP seven. The reason is DP seven's Scuzz and Charlie are pitting their gangs, the DD teens and Black Power, against each other to see who's the toughest group in the clinic. Rumble, written by Mark Grunewald, penciled by Paul Ryan, and inked by Danny Bulanati. So we get the first appearance of the DD teens. <laughs> All right. 
And in the meantime, kickersinc.com for all of your New Universe website goodness. You can email us at newuniversepodcast at gmail.com. And there's a Facebook fan page, Marvel Comics New Universe Fans, which is not run by us, but still quite good. Uh, and so, yeah, this, this has been the voice of the New Universe, and we'll see you back at the spinner rack. Don't throw away the duck. You're a universe, idiot. This doesn't suck the mop. Ugh, it's fine. Nuke me with the new. Right. Also a catchphrase that people use. Okay. <laughs> I, I don't I don't want to add that one though. Oh, we can edit that out in post. Okay. <laughs>